we're embracing the sanctity of space with Ali and Ava, and we're facing Rebel Tread at the hands of the Batman. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Zara Phelan, and this is your seven-day guide for all things movies. Boom. Groovy. Welcome to Off Screen, and yes, yes, the week is finally here. The Batman is upon us. Is it real? Does it feel like we had trailers for The Batman three years ago? Because you know, time has no meaning in the pandemic. Yeah, it just feels like, you know, we've been here forever, waiting for this (laughs) thing to come. (laughs) <laughs> it's not Batman forever, but we've been waiting for the Batman forever. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we will we will get to the Batman later. Anyway, let's talk about Ali and Ava, first of all, which we've we both seen uh, this week, which is a new movie from uh, Cleo Barnard, director of The Selfish Giant, uh, most notably. This stars, is it Adil Akhtar, who I think still, is he still in popular culture, I think best known maybe for Three Lions? Yeah, maybe. Lions? He does a lot of comedy stuff as well, doesn't he? Does, he does, yeah. doesn't he? And he's always hilarious. Uh, but he's also starring alongside uh, Claire Rushbrook, who, of course, to you and I, would be most recognisable from Plunkett and McLean, a film we both adore, and it's always nice to see her on screen again. And uh, yeah. this is this is effectively a sort of just a, a, a friendship, a romantically charged friendship story between two mismatch types. She's the school teacher, he's the landlord. I think he's the landlord of one of her pupils' parents. Is that how it works? Yes, that's right, yeah. And, and they, they sort of become sort of unlikely friends. And it's, it's how their relationship is viewed, for instance, by her family and is as regards his relationship status. So anyway, we've got a clip of the sort of burgeoning friendship between the pair. You see if you can get the sort of infectious energy they, they go for with this. Come on, Ava. Come on, over. Oh, look a mess. Come on, open up. We're going to keep talking through this door. Oh, my God, it's like talking to my cousin. She's dead religious. Every time she sees me coming, she shuts the door. I've got to talk to her like this and all. Yeah, yeah, she finds it funny too. Come on, open up. You see, there's charm there, isn't there? There's charm to be found. The performances do have a little bit of charm, but I don't think that the, the script really does them, them, them much here. I don't think there's an awful lot new in the story department here or too charismatic about it on the page that's not just being provided by the performers. Yeah, it just plods along and it just it gives you nothing to, really. It's, it's got that whole story with her with her younger son who was... Mm-hmm. You know, her fa- his father was part of the National Front, and that sort of comes in and goes out much hoo-ha about it. But, yeah, it's... Considering this is like a, a middle-aged kind of love affair sort of thing, it's just like... Yeah. Is it over yet? <laughs> Fair. I mean, this is the thing, because I, I really want to talk. Because Cleo Barnard has mm. her roots in, you know, in, in sort of the heavily into the film scene in, in West Yorkshire in particular. So, especially being from there, you know, I have a lot of friends who sort of overlap with uh, her productions over the years. So there's this sort of there's a desire on my part to really want this to be better than it is. But I have to begrudgingly admit the performances are carrying this nicely shot and everything. Nothing revelatory. No one's looking at. No one's taking this away. Going. This is the most glorious visual masterpiece I have ever seen. It doesn't particularly add. You're not getting anything particularly added to the story from the way in which it is shot, uh, the way in which it's captured. Music plays a big part in it as well. Mm, you know, yeah. I think that was probably the best part of it. 
Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that actually. Yeah, but uh, let's let's stick with music then, and and, and talk about uh, our next pick for this week. So Ali Neighbor, sorry, is in cinemas uh, from today. So f- from today, Friday, March fourth, uh, rated fifteen. Uh, also in cinemas from today, and I presume on demand as well is uh, another film. This is uh, this is rated fifteen. I had to check this wasn't rated eighteen. I'm, I'm not going to lie, um, <laughs> particularly because of one word that I absolutely adore that is used within it. Um, as you know, um, this is a new documentary called Rebel. Dread, and it's a documentary about Don Letts. Now, Don Letts, if you're like me, is one of those faces that you know the guy to look at him like, oh, that guy, yeah, I know that guy, because he's kind of a staple of the British music scene, but you just don't know why. And I just assumed he was a BBC DJ, if I'm really honest, until I watched this documentary and discovered that he was one of the early pioneers of reggae punk fusion and would become a a prominent figure within London's punk scene of the 70s and 80s finding close friendships and working relationships with bands like The Clash, The Sex Pistols Elton John in his late years, all sorts Bob Marley as well Bob uh, Bob Marley quite famously, yes He made over 300 uh, music videos as well Mm. and in, and I believe his Prince, I believe Prince is pictured at one point, I think, somewhere. Yeah, Prince, and yeah. in, incredible documentary. But even if you aren't particularly interested in, in punk music, the thing about this is it's such a wonderful whirlwind tour through just the heyday of popular culture of the age. It's just like a jukebox toe tapper at its finest. Have a listen. Punk rock's a living thing, it's about turning problems into assets. And as a first-generation British-born black, that's something I know a lot about. That was the thing about the racial climate in Britain. It was pretty on fire when it came to dealing with the authorities, like the police and stuff like that. And for us, being the generation born and raised here, it wasn't about trying to fit in. We had a different fight. So the Roxy Club is this punk club, and Don was going to be the DJ. One day he just announced, I'm going to get a camera. And from that moment, he was filming practically every band that played there. It's, it's a hell of a story, isn't it? And you can, as you can hear from this, Don Letts becomes this sort of... I don't know how to describe him other than to say his story plays like a sort of weird London punk music equivalent of Forrest Gump. He just sort of happens, he happens upon just all these great moments of pop culture history. And yet he's just one of the coolest, most chill guys you'll ever see. He just casually walks in on some of the most inc- iconic things that ever happened. Oh, just, well, I just, I got to know London because I was just, well, I went out for dinner with the Clash you know like as you do yeah, cool uh, uh, but okay, that but... was that was the music scene in the yeah. 70s 80s it's just like it was so easy and i think that all that is kind of what inspired me always to work in music because obviously i used to work in music before this hmm. um and it was that kind of what he was portraying there is a piece of that <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the best part is i mean as you can hear a little bit from our clip as well his attitude is quite singular like, he has a very distinct level of introspection. One that's quite admirable, and it's in that quote that you know I put at the very first line <laughs> yeah. of my morning star. What was it? Uh, we won't use the actual word, but we'll say it's, uh, have a good time, look good, and try your very best 
not to be a particular cuss word. It's going to me every time. I know, I know. I, I want it. To, I, I want it in uh, on my wall in like in that live, laugh, love uh, nonsense. I really do. But really great documentary though, and it does work in this. In it does work really well in handling the balance between getting people with a perspective on Don Letts's career and life and his influence and legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, without running the risk of becoming distractingly just a list of a reunion of his famous mates you know what i mean let's just get yeah. the rolodex out for instance i mean there's you get like a, a sequence at the very end for instance when you start going through his famous photos as you do over end credits but that's very indulged and earned at that point like the film yeah. itself not like that works very well if you know nothing about him it's just an interesting almost forrest gump like story I had a whale of a time with it. Two massive thumbs up from me, Zara. What did you think of this then? Oh, I'm exactly. I'm on the same page as you, mate. Absolutely loved it. So that's Rebel Dread, the Don Let story that is in cinemas and I hope on demand as well uh, from today, Friday, March the 4th, rated 50, surprisingly. <laughs> Welcome back to Off Screen, and next up on our cavalcade of uh, new cinematic offerings. I mean, they're all in cinemas this week, it's worth noting. I think next week we've got like half of them are going to be on streaming, but this week we've got, I think, half are available on demand, but everything is in cinemas. So we're going to continue that streak with The Sanctity of Space, new documentary that's out uh, today, a new Dogwolf documentary. So it usually comes with Dogwolf being the label that they are, means their badge usually comes to the sort of minimum quality requirement, which is a nice guarantee to have in this day and age if we're being honest like you know that label handpicks their offerings um this is not one of the better ones so i'm not gonna lie this is just, it's called the sanctity of space it's uh, directed by uh, i'm gonna read it out uh renan ozturk and freddie wilkinson who along with what was his name zach smith they're a trio of of climbers who inspired by this iconic photo of the ruth gorge in alaska a photo by i think it's brad washburn they uh, they decide that this particular path, this particular uh, trail of peaks that run along the Ruth Gorge in Alaska that starts with something that's called the Moose's Tooth and includes things like broken tooth and I think shark's tooth. There's, there's a, a lot of tooth. Whoever named these mountains was clearly a dentist, obviously, but they do actually look like tooth. They decide they're going to climb all these mountains based entirely on this iconic photo. This is all like, you know, it's in modern days. So they've got GoPros and things. This is the story of their fanatical expedition, their fanatical commitment to this expedition based solely, as I say, on this one photograph. I think it's important to point out that there is something that happens to both the brilliant climbers and the bum ones, and that's tough luck. I've never believed in what I call Russian roulette climbing, which is going into a place where you have constant danger over which you have no control at all. I think one of the reasons that we're still here and chatting with you today is the fact we refused to take that kind of chance. That's actually archival uh, recordings of, uh, of Washburn himself there. And the, the, do- the documentary would really love at times to be telling you an, an interesting story about Washburn, but re- really it isn't. And then what you're left with is a climbing documentary. Like, okay, cool. Well, I, I know that these can be quite good. I've seen Free Solo. I've seen, you know, arguably the gold standard of recent times of what you can do with a climbing documentary, you know? 
but you've not got that, of course, because this has been filmed more as a sort of on on spec, on the ground, gritty, ramshackle. We're just going to do this with a couple of GoPros operation and then maybe there's some stock footage applied in afterwards the problem is these aren't especially interesting guys when it comes to filmmaking like they don't seem to realize that their obsession with climbing is not quite the the focal point of this movie that you know that's the, that's that's the framing device effectively for allowing us to explore something else allowing us to explore you know commitment or obsession or family dynamics or something like that at one point this expedition gets scrapped entirely because one of these guys who co-directs this incidentally gets actual brain damage goes home goes into rehab and they resume the, the and the, against like medical advice and things they restart the expedition months later do you know how much screen time gets devoted to that five entire minutes at best that's how interested they are in anything that's not this time i'm thinking okay well, well unless you're shooting wouldn't it that's the movie isn't yeah. it that's that story that overcoming adversity yeah. That's the drive to conquer this mountain powered me through this absolutely life-threatening injury. That's a story. This is not that story. This, this is this is about guys climbing the mountain. <laughs> and yeah. maybe they should okay. uh, stick so to climbing that's... the mountain and leave the filmmaking for somebody else. <laughs> I, I, I think so. They reached the peak, but they never quite planted their flag. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's talk then. This is this is one. We'll let you lead the way on this one. Because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a run up. I'm going I'm to pause. I'm going to flex, and then I'm going to run up. So, this week, this feeling is the long-awaited release of Matt Reeves's The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson, starring Zoe Kravitz, starring Colin Farrell, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright. Take it away. Yeah, we've got Batman. He's back again this week. There's a basically a sadistic killer is on the loose, and he le- he starts leaving around cryptic clues. And it's actually the Riddler, so everybody should know who the Riddler is after all these years. They're not really making that. They don't make that too secret, do they? Because I think the question mark is one of the most iconic parts of Batman. So I think we are meant to know. Yeah, yeah, basically, and it's it's all about you know the Batman's forging new relationships and fighting power and corruption within uh, Gotham City. I've been trying to reach you. Riddler's latest. It's all about the Waynes. If we don't stand up, no one will. You got a lot of cats. Never think about strays. <laughs> the bat and the cat. It's got a nice ring. You a new friend of yours? I'm not so sure. I'm just here to unmask the truth about this cesspool we call a city. You're part of this too. How am I a part of this? Oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. Bruce Wayne. Now, I'm really glad that you pointed out the fact that it's it's set in year two specifically of Batman because that effectively means that this kind... That effectively means that this is and also works as effectively an alternative of The Dark Knight. So there's a lot of this movie where what you are watching is basically The Dark Knight in service to the movie Seven in the same way that Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight was in service to the movie Heat. You know, in exactly that way. That is very true, actually. I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. (laughs) But in the same way, though, 
The reason for that similarity is because this is borrowing from the exact same source material that The Dark Knight is, which is The Long Halloween. Yeah. Like you go back and read The Long Halloween now, and it is fascinating how you know how cleverly Nolan and, and indeed Matt Reeves in this case have both managed to take the same set pieces in a sense mm -hmm. and jumble them all around and construct entirely new ways for A to get to B to get to C to connect those dots and how it all works together. It's a really well done way. Um, I liked Pattinson as Batman. I didn't like him as Bruce Wayne. I am going to say that because I'm sorry, but emo Bruce Wayne, it just doesn't work for me. I felt exactly the same way. I was like, yeah, put your bat suit back on, mate. I'm not having that. Yeah. <laughs> But at the same time, and I will say this about this movie, and this is this is part of it, the movie works for me because it understands what Nolan and The Long Halloween do as well, which is you keep Batman in the suit and you don't have it specifically be a story about Batman. I mean, in a sense, this does become about Batman, but not, yeah. if you know what I mean. It becomes about Bruce Wayne in a sense but not but in a very modern day we have to have accountability for our institutional racism and things like that kind of a sense which is very modern but at the same time remember this is adapting material from 1996 mm -hmm. i think so maybe they were just cutting edge which they probably were um it works and they do think to keep pattinson in the bat suit for a long time it is yeah. Bale era clever, but it can't quite resist at times becoming Affleck era stupid and hyper violent, which is a bit annoying. To be yeah, honest. and you can definitely tell with Patterson's portrayal of Batman, it is definitely Bale influenced as well. Yeah. Well, because, like, to an actor like Pattinson, that's going to be, like, his, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, like, the gold standard because he's my Batman, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Daniel Craig would be his Bond, like, in the same way that anyone anyone of our generation who got cast as Bond would be like, oh, it's going to be, like, Pierce Brosnan or Connery or something like that. It's going to be, like, whoever your generation is. Like, like Eccleston's my, my doctor, for mm. instance, you know? Yeah. But uh, I, I think there's a lot going for this. I think Paul Dano works as a version of the Riddler, I would say. I think... It works as a reinvention in the same way that Batman Begins kind of did, yeah. but you are best off looking at this as sort of an alternate Dark Knight. And you can genuinely watch this as a sequel to Batman Begins, and it works. It really works. It's quite clever. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree there, actually. Thumbs down, two thumbs up, one thumb. What are you giving it? Um, well, I'm definitely a thumbs up. I really liked it, but, you know, again, mm. it is way too long, and unfortunately, oh, I, I did, you know, pass out. 15 minutes. I mean, it's <laughs> near three hours, isn't it? It is near three hours. Yeah, you just don't need that, man. I'm seriously, you can chop it down a little bit. I'm sure there's there's a few bits in there that didn't really need to be there. Did you think, though, that a big part of the problem was because it is staged quite epic, like a comic book, yeah. you know, that it could, it did arguably feel at times like you were binge watching maybe an HBO Max? Show. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I felt that at times too. It's the Irishman problem, as I call <laughs> yeah. it. But uh, yeah, so anyway, um, two thumbs up for me. I loved it. it. It kind of is everything I wanted from a Batman movie, which is just let the guy solve the case and just and just cross paths with his villains along the way. Yeah. Thumbs up from me. We have a good Batman. We don't have a great Bruce Wayne. We've got a good Batman and a decent Alfred too. Yeah.
Now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Zara. Hi, Van. What's going on? Ain't nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. But to be honest, we just as easily take on our sponsors this week for free because we kind of love them. Mel Science are our sponsors this week, and we could not be happier. To those not in the know, Mel Science are a subscription service that offer monthly science boxes, just like we boring grown-ups have our weekly meal boxes. Only these combine hands-on science experiments with both virtual and augmented reality tech to engage kids and get them loving science. And they're very, very good kits, but why just take my word for it when you could just as easily ask the intended audience? Everybody, say hello to Jaleel. Jaleel's about to turn eight this next month, and Mel Science were good enough to send him the Mel Physics polarized light set to try out. And this is what he had to say. All right, Jaleel, what is it that you learned from the science kit? When you have the polarized glasses on, less light goes through and you can look at the light bulbs longer. Would you say that this was a fun kit and that other parents should get it for their kiddos? Yes. What do you think kids will like about it? I think they'll like all the colors and see and learn stuff about light. And is it lots of fun? Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Jaleel. Jaleel and his brother now want many, many more of these, and rightly so. Best of all, if you'd like to give Mel Science a try for yourself, which you absolutely should, you can get 60% off for the first month just by going to melscience.com and using the promo code OFFSCREEN. Thanks again to Mel Science, education disguised as entertainment. Rock on. Welcome back to Offscreen and keeping the good times rolling, we're taking it over to Freeview and talking about the next seven days of cinematic goodness to be found on telly, or we would at least if I still had my script open, which I stupidly closed to look on IMDb. But uh, okay, we're going to start then tonight, BBC One, 11.35, Zara. I love this movie. I don't know your, your thoughts on it. I haven't asked you about any of these yet. I love this movie. This is from, I think, 2017 to 2018. Stars uh, uh, Jason Bateman, Rachel McAdams. It's Game Night. Um, directed, written and directed, I think, by John Francis Daly and uh, Jonathan Goldstein. This is it, this is the story of you know a group of friends who get together for a game night. It's all gone a bit stagnant. The, the show-off older brother comes to visit and decides he's going to inject his own sense of fun into proceedings. Played by Ron Livingston, as you'll hear here. In the next hour, someone in this room is going to be taken. And it's going to be up to you to find them before they are murdered. Ooh. Oh, it's a murder mystery party. Not just any murder mystery. I found this company. They do it super real. They use legit actors. You're not going to know what's real and what's fake. Fun! But that's not all. Because whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize. The keys to the stingray. What? Wow. Just the keys? No, Ryan, the whole car. Oh, yes! Oh, man. You're so lucky I brought you to this game night and not one Max Annie's. Hey! No, I just mean because this is better. Oh. Billy Magnuson there, and I thought this movie was so fun that it actually made me not despise Billy Magnuson for like <laughs> 10 entire seconds, which I thought was actually impossible. I mean, Billy Magnuson, wow. Okay, so um, Game Night, that is uh, Friday night on, uh, on BBC One. Um, on to some James Gunn action. 
for Saturday night, though. You know me, sir. I love a James Gunn movie. I especially love oh, it yeah. when you apply that dark and twisted mind to what if Superman but evil. It's Brightburn, 10.35, Saturday night on Film 4. Did you see this one? This is what, about three years ago, Brightburn? 3.19? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I did see it, but I mean, when I saw the script, I had to look it up because I couldn't bloody remember, so it obviously um, <laughs> this is, didn't make that much of a mark on me. I thought this was really cool. It wasn't as big a deal as I expected it to be because I thought his... his Because uh, uh, I think he only produces this, but it, it's sort of the story by him and written by him and he only produces it, but it's directed, by, mm-hmm. directed elsewhere. Uh, really good, though, performance from, especially uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Berkeley as the sort of Martha Kent of, of this scenario and one for the uh, Peacemaker fans you will spot Jennifer Holland in there as well uh, on to Sunday 9pm on BBC2 a movie that fell through the cracks I think this came along like two minutes before Covid did uh, back in 2020 and it's 9pm uh, on BBC2 it's Misbehaviour uh, with an all star cast that includes Gugu and Barter Raw and Kira Knightley and it is about the protest the feminist staged at Miss World when it was held in London in was it I think it was the late 60s including Bob Hope who's played here by Greg Kinnear hosting and the absolute riot that ensued here's a, here's a little a little snippet of Kira Knightley arguing feminism with her mum in that very very Kira Knightley way because you know she can't resist a period piece and while you're off with your fanatics Gareth and I are looking after your daughter Seems to me liberation just means getting someone else to do your job for you. So you think it's all right, do you, that one half of the world has all the power and the other half just has to lump it? Oh, don't be so melodramatic. Don't be so blind. You couldn't even get a bank account without Dad's permission. The doctor wouldn't give you birth control. That was one bank manager and one doctor. Just because you swallowed it doesn't mean I have to. So you can hear this sort of agenda there that they're going for on this one, and it makes it lands its point wonderfully. As in, you it it's one of those that wonderfully asks you, and it's and, and it's quite successful in asking you to basically look exactly how little has changed in this amount of time, and it, it's about as subtle as yeah. a sledgehammer, and it works because it plays into just how over the top Miss World itself is, how gaudy and ridiculous it is, and like the idea yeah. of like Barter Raw for its take, you know being the contestant who could win this and it could be taken seriously and and Jesse Buckley for instance could take this down from the inside it's it's really something did you get to see this one um yeah I did a long after the fact mm. long after it came out but again I wasn't really that bothered because it's Kira Knightley <laughs> I know she's such a divining divining <laughs> figure isn't she in all these things but Kira Knightley aside I thought it was worth watching what here's one I think you you must have something of an affinity for at least in in its place in culture Monday night then era 9 p.m on paramount young guns 2 blaze of glory come on oh yes i do i I I mean i I vaguely remember it i know i've got the first one Mm. but i can never remember the second one that well the the weird thing is the second one is the one that everyone actually remembers and the first one is the one that no one's ever really seen it's kind of like back to the future (laughs) in that way like everyone's always seen back to the future two or three no one ever sees the first one and uh, Blaze of Glory, that I mean, which seems to be a, a subtitle that's kind of been added years later. It was just Young Guns 2 when it, come, it came out. Is This is the one with the Bon Jovi soundtrack that looks like yeah. a music video of the era and is more the story of Billy the Kid, whereas the first movie was kind of an origin story 
for Billy the Kid. The sequel picks up years later with uh, the surviving members like Keepers, Keepers of the London and Lou Diamond Phillips reuniting. And this is more about the legend, just the straight legend of Billy the Kid, as played wonderfully by uh, the great, and unfortunately now it seems, anti-vaxxer Emilio Estevez. That's, that's yeah. sad. Who's, who's replaced him on the Mighty Ducks? Is it Josh Demel, I think, or... I think it's Josh Demel's replaced him, I think, on the Mighty Duck show. I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's sad. Oh, coach Very Bombay. sad. I was like, no, I, oh. I, I used, my heart used to belong to Emilio Estevez. I know, and also, <laughs> could they not have just chucked money at Joshua Jackson if they needed a replacement for Coach Bombay? I mean, come on. Anyway, on to uh, Tuesday night. This one's quite recent. This was, I think, 2018. Because I remember watching this, uh, re-watching this, in fact, on a flight out to New York in 2019. Uh, it's Can You Ever Forgive Me, which you may remember from the awards season that year with Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant at 9pm on Film 4 Tuesday night. She's the, she's, I forget, she's the sort of down-on-her-luck grifter who is, she's a sort of failed writer. She's a failing writer. Yeah who determines that she can make money by forging letters from famous authors and quickly floods the market with what, you know, unbeknownst to the masses, are these fraudulent documents, enlisting her friend, the uh, substance-abusing, over-the-top, drunk uh, Richard E. Grant, along the way. We've got, uh, we've got to clip it from him. I think this uh, one line here was particularly clever, don't you think? It's wonderful. I love his writing. And Dorothy Parker as well, caustic wit, you know? Caustic wit is my religion. I can't carry it off. You certainly can. Doesn't help too much in the relationship department. I'm sure that's not true. Okay, should we settle up? Yeah. So this was uh, this was an Oscar baby, and this got nominations for both Richard E. Grant uh, and uh, Melissa McCarthy. Did Richard E. Grant win this? I can't remember. I can't remember. I, can't remember. I, I, I genuinely can't. It's fascinating how quickly you forget the Oscar winners, but uh, <clears throat> still worth a revisit, though. And it uh, is. I mean, it's also you know Miss McCarthy in a role that you very rarely see her in, and she's a bit more serious with it, which is really good. I mean, that's why I enjoyed it. Yeah, very much so, and because I think she's she she goes quite sort of dweebish as well for this, which is mm. a, a kind of a, a real change of, of pace for her. She goes quite studious, and it is about the desperation. And I think there's been hints of it in the comedy before. We're seeing her do it for drama, for straight drama. She's really good yeah. at it. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, a movie title you've no doubt heard me utter at least once every six months for the last decade. Wednesday night, March 9th, 11.10pm on Film 4. I don't care if it's only been three months or six months since the last time I told you to watch Snowpiercer, but if it's been that amount of time, it's probably time for you to watch it again. So, <clears throat> Snowpiercer which only got its UK release seven years later when Bong Joon-ho won Best Director and Best Picture and Best Foreign Language Feature. <clears throat> Not that anybody told you so. Is <laughs> on Film 4, Wednesday night at 10 past 11. If you've not seen this, I recommend it. It is better than the TV show. Anyway, let's... Uh, <laughs> enough of my enough of my semi-quarterly plugging of Bong Joon-ho's <laughs> Snowpiercer, which you're a Chris Evans fan. You must love Snowpiercer, right? Of course I do, and yes, it, the main draw is Chris Evans, you know, because he's a brilliant actor, you know. <laughs> Bearded, grizzly, baby-eating Chris Evans, that is. 
So let's uh, let's move on. The last one of the week, uh, Thursday night. You told me you'd not seen this, and I was quite surprised because I would have thought you would love this. Uh, you, if you've not seen this, era, watch it. You will thank me. You will adore this. It's the first big film from Neil Marshall uh, on Thursday night, at twenty past eleven on Filmport. It's Dog Soldiers from I think two thousand two. Stars Sean Pertwee, Kevin McKidd, Liam Cunningham. There's a who's who of British actors who you no doubt will recognise from in recent years every fantasy show on cable. So everyone in this has turned up in Game of Thrones, The Forbidden Kingdom, The Last Kingdom, The Glass Kingdom, The Window Kingdom. Anything with a kingdom in it has had one of these guys. They've been in all the kingdoms the last few years and in this one in neil marshall's first sort of big feature they are the platoon who are doing maneuvers training maneuvers in the scottish highlands when they happen to be set upon by a pack of werewolves all of this is done in glorious john carpenter 80 style exploitation cinema sensibilities and that's sort of a watchful vision it's grisly, it's gory, it's stupidly lantern-jawed and macho, and it knows it, and it has an absolute ball with it. It's on, as I say, 20 past 11, Thursday night on Film 4. Tape it, hit the Sky Plus button if, you, if you're not going to be able to watch it live. Do not miss Dog Soldiers. It's honestly, I think, one of the best movies of this century. It's one of the best horror movies, if nothing else. Do not miss Dog Soldiers. Welcome back for one last ride off screen and our first offering in the streaming disc in, in, the, small, in, in the screens department. Which, I, we need a name for this. <laughs> the home screens? It needs to differentiate from people. We'll think small of something. Screen. Small screen. Small screen. Small screen. We've got a small screen. Our first offering on the small screen this week comes via way of Amazon Prime from today. And it's a new documentary, would you believe it, directed by Amy Poehler, of all people. And it's uh, Lucy and Desi. It's an exploration of uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Recently, of course, seen depicted on screen by Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem in the now Oscar-nominated uh, Aaron Sorkin movie, Being the Ricardos. Uh, you saw Being the Ricardos, did you? Yes, I did actually i was i had a link while i was in saudi arabia so i watched it from my hotel room <laughs> nice and, and i will say like we, I mean, we've got a clip for this and and one of those things you you always that always hits me every time i see or hear even hear desi arnaz is just mm. yeah there really was no one else on earth but javier bardem of course in that role, was there? <laughs> have a listen to yourself and you tell me my parents had these audio tapes hello hello hi there he said, that's the seal ball. And I said, oh, man, that's a hunk of woman. I was madly in love with Desi. I've never felt that way about anyone before. No one wanted him to play my husband because he was Cuban, and they wanted a real American couple. The only reason I Love Lucy exists is because they wanted to be together. A cubita bella. Uh, <laughs> does kind of go to show you just how well uh, how well cast they were actually for the for the Sorkin movie when you hear the actual clips and the, and the way they were depicted you know as being just intoxicatingly in love with one another yeah <laughs> but uh, you know me I love a good Gomez and Morticia vibe I do that's my like <laughs> hashtag relationship goals but uh, right okay also uh, available to stream from today uh, via Disney Plus like we've got the next three are going to be by Disney Plus by the way and these are all from today 
we've got uh, Matthew Vaughn's reboot of the X-Men series from back in 2009. It is the 1960s set X-Men First Class. You must have uh, enjoyed this one back with its James McAvoy's and its Michael Fassbenders. This has got Zara feeling sexy time written all over it. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, my God. I don't care what anybody else says. I love this reboot series. I this is a re- No, no, I think this is regarded as a quite well-done reboot because it gets the tone it's a standalone film it's got its swinging period vibe and it's just an entertaining movie in its own right i don't think anyone has any axe to grind with this one oh no i just remember people was not being that favorable for this i thought this was i actually wish there were more like this like this is kind of to be honest this is how you should have you should do the fantastic four for instance which is commit to the bit just commit to the bit and, yeah. and stop worrying about it. Just, just, just delve in and stop worrying about how silly this is. Just yeah. lean in, which yeah. is why I'll always go to bat for uh, Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer, also on Disney Plus, which contains the epic line of cinematic dialogue: "Victor, only the surfer can stop the destroyer, but he needs his board." Anyway, uh, also on Disney Plus from today is uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Remember this one? Oh, this was an awards darling like a decade ago wasn't it? it it was but i don't actually remember being able to make it all the way through the film every time i've tried it's a to long watch walk. it <laughs> all the time i've tried to watch it <laughs> i'm out like a light <laughs> it is, it is i don't get it wrong it is one for the dads isn't it it is yeah. it's, it's, well i mean it's, it's one for granddads i think at this stage but gary oldman uh, uh, uh gary oldman uh, uh tom hardy i think is in it what's yeah. taylor now all-star cast i can't remember anyone but the two of them but on disney plus from today also and this is you know a cheerful one for the season you know if you've been having seasonal effectiveness disorder uh, seasonal effectiveness disorder or whatever it's called and uh, and want cheering up you might do well to avoid ken loach's i daniel blake which is available <laughs> on disney plus from today which is a brilliant movie it but is, it ain't half depressing and is yeah. uh, the acclaimed story of, imaginatively enough, uh, Daniel Blake, who uh, takes on the system when he finds himself basically restrained under a conservative government that seeks to exploit the poor and just drive them further and further into poverty, as you can hear here. You must commit yourself to spending 35 hours a week looking for work. Now, that can be newspapers, agencies, and online via the Universal Job Match. But you must prove that you've done this as well, mind. I've been told by my doctor I'm not supposed to go back to work yet. Then you should apply for employment and support allowance. I have. I've been knocked back by some quack, and now I'm trying to appeal. Okay, well, that's your choice, Mr Blake. No, it's not my choice. I've got another form of income. This was a real barnstormer. I think, I mean, it's as relevant today as well yeah. as it was in, was it 2016? I think this came out. Oh, Five years. <laughs> I think it's as far back as 2016. And it's it's surprising how little resonance this has lost. Because I think I, yeah. uh, I had the, I think I caught this on TV quite recently, on BBC Two or something. And mm. it's like I say, this this has lost no relevant no relevance or resonance whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, it's fascinating um, who the people are who are still around five years uh, later yes. in power. Just saying, just yeah. <clears throat> just, just Ken Loach material. Should we put it that oh, way? Oh yeah, it's definite Ken. Yeah, definite Ken Loach. Yeah. No one's no one's picking this as a date movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like worst date movie ever. Worst date movie this side of the human centipede. Let's let's put it that way. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, let's go then to uh, Saturday, okay? So tomorrow on Netflix, this is a, this was an awards, darling. I think this was six years ago. This was, I think, one more for the cardigan crowd, but this was August Osage County. I think this this was the year before, I think, uh, I, Daniel Blake. This was Meryl Street and Benedict Cumberbatch. Remember this? The family around the dinner table. It was, the whole thing was just the family around the dinner table. I never saw but, it. I don't think... No, hmm, I didn't it, see it. No, it wasn't uh, one of the heavy hitters for that year. Mm. Let's put it that way. It got nominated for a fair few, but it just wasn't. Uh, it, did, it wasn't really a standout offering. Yeah. Um, one that does stand out on, uh, on on small screens this next week, and uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, you have to invite this one willingly into your home. You have to go to a <laughs> store and put money down to buy this movie. And I'd be tempted to purely to take this to a car park somewhere, douse it in lighter fluid, set it on fire and dance <laughs> nakedly around it, as if to challenge the evil spirits contained within. Uh, it's Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> the uh, cinematic adaptation of the uh, the hit musical, which might be one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen on, depicted on screen. And for this to only come a year and a half after... year and a half? I think it was a year and a half after Cats um, shows you that uh, not only is there a hell, but it's possible that we already live within it. Um, it is the story of uh, a high schooler who um, is assigned by his therapist. He's got, first of all, he has every, he's got every condition seemingly going, right? He's annoyingly non-specific within the movie about what his diagnosis is, where on the spectrum he sits or anything like that. It's a grab bag of conditions that's just convenient to whatever the plot requires at a moment's notice, okay? So he's OCD one minute, suicidal, and he just, he just jumps, right? Anyway, his therapist, who's apparently the worst therapist in the world, because he's just narrowed it down to 36 conditions, it seems, um, has assigned him to write these letters to himself, hence the clever title of the movie, Dear Evan Hansen. Anyway, one day he gets into it with another kid at school who takes one of the letters from him because for some reason he types these out and prints them on communal printers in high school, you know, because he's a dumbass. Anyway, so the bad kid takes one of the letters and then wouldn't you know it, he's suicidal too. So he tries, so he not only tries but succeeds in taking his own life whilst he has this letter upon him, only for his grieving family to then assume, oh, they must have actually been friends. Like, we didn't know he had any friends. That's so touching. You're the only person that knew him. And Evan Hansen, because he's the worst, goes <laughs> along with this because he fancies the dead kid's sister. Here's a clip. Oh, by the way, this is a musical. So you just didn't eat last night? I wasn't hungry. You're a senior in high school. You need to be able to order dinner for yourself. You can do it all online. You don't have to talk to anybody. Okay, well, that's not that's not true, actually, though, because um, the credit card's expired, so you have to meet the delivery person at the door. You know, you have to pay them with cash at the door. You have to greet them. You know, you have to figure out the right, the right, um, the, the proper greeting. Okay. This is what you're supposed to be working on, sweetheart, with Dr. Sherman. Have you been doing those letters he wants you to do? Dear Evan Hansen. I mean, I'm definitely... I've been trying to. Those letters are important, honey. You have to keep working. You can't go back to where you were last year, right? Dear Evan Hansen, go away. Sincerely, Van Connor. Also on small screens this week, though, uh, Tuesday, Netflix are offering up Surf's Up 2 Wave Mania. Do you remember Surf's Up, Zara? 
you remember the first no it doesn't even ring any bells mate i'm sorry <laughs> animated penguin movies from like 2007 like a dreamworks type one but this one has been co-funded this is a sequel to one from 2007 i think that's been co-funded by the wwe so they have actual wrestlers playing animated penguin versions of themselves like cena is in this there's like a whole <laughs> roster of triple h and people like that you know all in this um so worth watching for a laugh i guess um and uh, that's tuesday tuesday on on netflix but uh, next week though next week's gonna be quite interesting uh next week we've got two on streaming turning red on disney plus you know the new one about the mm. girl turns into a big fluffy red like, yeah yeah panda type thing we've got the app yeah. project on netflix the uh ryan yeah. reynolds time travel thing we yeah, that looks fun. Does he hang out with his own child self or something, I think? Yes, I he does. He does, um, yeah. We've got Red Rocket, a new comedy from the guy who brought us Tangerine and the Florida Project. That looks wacky, but not quite as wacky, perhaps, as Sideshow. A, a, a movie, a British movie set in the world of stage magicians. Going to be an interesting wow. one next week, <laughs> yeah. I think, definitely. But uh, for now, that's that's all we've got time though. Uh, for now, in which case, uh, this has been uh, this has been off screen. I've been Van Connor, and I've been Zara Phelan, and we shall return. <laughs> <laughs>